And I would start the class by saying, okay, how many of you in, are in this business because you think you're gonna make a lot of money? Come on, show me the hands. And then the hands would go up and I'd go, you need to leave. Why are you here? What's, what's motivating you? Hello, and welcome to episode three of the Outliers podcast. I'm your host, Arya Chang, and alongside Olivia Sabatino, today we're interviewing movie producer Gilbert Adler. Now, Mr. Adler has worked on a number of successful films. Some you might know are Superman Returns, Valkyrie, Constantine, but there's much more. He also founded Dark Castle Entertainment with three other movie producers back in 1999. Today, he talks about what it's actually like to be a movie producer. He also shares some of his craziest stories, like how he mistook Prince Ali of Jordan for just some random dude. But that's all I'll say for now. Mr. Adler, if you're watching this, thank you so much. And I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Um, it's a pleasure to meet you, Mr. Adler. Thank you so much for doing this. Not at all. Pleasure to be here. All right. To start us off, can you give us your definition of what a producer is and what they do? Uh, well, it's va it varies. I mean, it's different on every movie. And for years, I struggled to give an answer because it, it involves everything involved with the production. And finally, I came up with uh, an answer that I thought was a little cheeky on one hand, but on the other hand, really said exactly what a producer does. On a good day, you should think of me as a psychologist. And on a bad day, you should think of me as a psychiatrist. And that's really it. So you're dealing with people on all areas, whether it be writers, directors, designers, department heads, actors, actors management, actors lawyers, you know, and, and you're involved with all those kinds of conversations and all those things. And ultimately what you're trying to do is get everybody to do timely exactly the same thing at the right moment. Because some of it is very internal and there's no time pressure, like when you're talking with writers. And yet when you have a crew of anywhere from you know, if it's a tiny little movie, 25 people to a big movie with 300 people, then you're dealing with money and then you're dealing with time. Every minute that you don't use appropriately, you lose money and you lose time. And those are the two essential ingredients that we don't want to lose because, you know, time and money makes the difference of being able to get the shot or not. Right. Can you talk about like the step-by-step -step of just starting a movie? So maybe you can use one of your movies as an example. Well, as I said, they're all different, but it all starts with the concept of what it is we're making. Is it a book? Is it an article? Is it a script? Are we going to take a book and make it into a script? The producer's function is to determine the taste of what he wants to make or what she wants to make. So I, I want to make this horror movie, but I don't want to make that horror movie, or I want to make this musical or I don't. Let's say I, I read a script that's sent to me by an agent and I and I like the script. And I go, okay, well, you know, what what do we need to do to make this a reality. So I basically start with, is the script ready? And if it's not, then we work on the script. And that could be a long process or not so long, depending upon the collaboration. And then once we have a script that we think is really a good script and, and something that the people will want to see, then we, we say, okay, let's find a director. And then once we find a director, then we go, well, let's find the actors. And that's how we sort, of, we sort of put the pieces together along the way. Wonderful. Should we go into section two? Yeah. All right. What is your favorite part about being a film producer? I really like the interaction with people. Um, and you meet all kinds of people. I mean, you can meet crazy, crazy people, meet rational people. You know, I say that sort of facetiously, but I also say it seriously because, you know, in the film business, it attracts all kinds of nuts. You know, it's your job as a producer to make sense of what they can do for us and make it so that they want to do that. I think the, the part that I like the most is working with creative people and bringing it to fruition and then actually figuring out how to bring it to something that 
people will see and enjoy. For sure. And that's great too, because that kind of means that you really have to be a people person in order to pursue this. Yeah, I mean, you think, I think, I mean, really your job is to figure out how to make this person and now that person and then that person do what you want them to do at that particular moment. When we're shooting, it's shot to shot. But when you're prepping or when you're writing, it's like, okay, these are my ideas. How do I get them into the script? Well, then there's conversation with the writer. And then the writer might say, no, I don't agree with that. I think this. And then you have that conversation and you come to a, you come to a resolution of that. And then when the director comes in, then there's another, another layer of conversation. And then when the financing comes in, that's another layer of conversation. So it just keeps getting broader and broader and bigger and bigger and more and more people from various places in terms of what they see in, the, in this particular movie. For sure. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Um, next question is, what opportunities and valuable experience has it exposed you to? Well, it's exposed me to many, many things. Perhaps the most important one was I met my wife on a set here in Vancouver shooting a show for HBO. So that's probably the most important thing that's happened to me in terms of the, making these movies. In addition, because we travel all over the world to make these movies, I've been very, and I'm very grateful for this. I've, I've had an opportunity to meet people from all walks of life. And so we have friends all over the world. And I met King Abdullah and Prince Ali from Jordan. I met them when I was in Jordan and, and we've become friends. And so I've stayed in contact a little bit with those guys. And I was invited to China um, and I went to China for two weeks. So, you know, you're exposed to a lot of different people from a lot of different walks of life. It's really exceptional because I think about all the places I've traveled. It's, it's just, you know, I never would have done that had I had a, a normal job and had holidays and went, I wouldn't even think of going to some of these places. You know, we lived in Berlin for nine months. Um, when we made a couple of movies in Australia, we made Superman Returns. We lived in, a, we lived in Sydney for a year. Uh, Ashley, um, if you don't mind, I'm going to ask a question, uh, more of a storytelling question, because you've had a crazy life uh, living in probably what, like over five countries, at least maybe 10, right? Yeah, a lot more than that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think it'd be really funny and really cool if you could tell us a story about maybe about your travels. Well, you know, when we were in Berlin, we were looking for a, a desert to shoot the beginning of the movie for Valkyrie. And we were looking all over the world. And Brian De Palma, who's a noted director, and he said, you should call the king. And I said, you should call the king? <laughs> yeah, you should call the king, King Abdullah. He's a nice guy. I go, well, do you have a number for him? So a few days later, I get a call in, in Berlin, and it's from Jordan. And it's uh, not the king, but um, people who represent the king. And they said, we understand you're making this movie in Berlin, and you're looking for a desert. Well, we have the biggest desert in the world, Radiwam. And, uh, you know, you should come down and see it. We'd like you to come down. And I thought, wow, I've never been to Jordan. So, yeah. Uh, so I flew from Berlin to Frankfurt, Frankfurt to Amman and got off the plane and was met by a driver and got into this car and we made three stops. Each time we stopped, I had to get out of the car, put my hands against the car and was frisked. And after three of these things, I finally got to the palace. And I'm thinking, well, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to meet Prince Ali. The king was away. I'm not, you know, I just, I've just flown six hours from Berlin. So I'm a little disheveled and not, you know, refreshed and I hope he's okay with that. And as I'm getting out of the car, these people come rushing to the car, three people, uh, a guy in black jeans and a, t and a white t-shirt and two women. And they say, hello, hello, and usher me into the palace. And they said, is it okay? We're going to have tea in the garden. And I said, sure. You know, whatever you like. I'm good. So we go out to the garden and I keep waiting and looking to the door, to the palace, looking, you know, when does Prince Ali come? 
and I'm getting a little annoyed now. And I'm, I look at the door and a guy comes out and he goes, Prince Ali. And I said, oh, he's being announced. He's coming. He's coming. <laughs> and the guy and the guy walks over to the table where I'm sitting across from this guy in black chinos and a white T-shirt. And he starts talking to them. And I'm looking at the wind, at the door going, where's Prince Ali? I thought he, I thought he just said, <laughs> and I realized the guy that I'm sitting across is Prince Ali. <laughs> and so I go, oh. Now, I didn't tell him this story, <laughs> this trip, but I told him I made another trip there and I, and I told him this story and he was howling. He couldn't believe it. I said, well, <laughs> you didn't introduce yourself when you opened the door for me and you look like a Western kid, you know, 35 year old guy. So that, that was that was kind of fun. And then I came back a second time because I brought the director and department heads to go look at the, the desert that I looked at. However, I didn't need to see the desert again. So I was going to stay at the palace and this time meet King Abdullah. So I'm spending the night in the palace and I'm sitting there talking with the prince. He says to me, are you hungry? And I said, well, um, you know, a little bit. He said, yeah, let's have lunch. I said, okay. And then he didn't say anything else. He didn't ask anybody to get us lunch. And I'm sitting there going, did he forget? Anyway, I'm sitting there for like two hours talking to him. And I go, listen, um, could I uh, could I use the restroom? He said, oh, of course, just go down the hall, the second left. Actually, that's gonna be your room. And there's a bathroom in there. So I go, oh, great. So I walk down the corridor of the palace. I open the door and I walk into this room, which looks like the size of a football field. And it's beautifully <laughs> done. And I'm looking in the doors and finally I find the bathroom. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, what would my mother say if I called her and said, yeah, guess where I'm taking a pee, Ma? And, and it, it was just an unbelievable experience. And I came back and I'm sitting with Prince Ali and all of a sudden the wall behind him moves and opens away. And there's a spread of food. And I'm like sitting there going, how did he do that? And while we're, ch we're chatting away, the phone rings and I see him constantly be glancing at the phone and finally looks at me and goes, listen, I'm really sorry, but I, I gotta take that call. I said, okay. And I go, of course, take the phone call. And he says, um, I hear this. Oh yes, hello. Yeah, he's with me now. And all I could think of was, who knows that I'm at the palace besides my <laughs> wife? And how did she find the number? But she's in Berlin. And so he says, it's my brother, the king. Now, before I went, I asked some people about protocol and about, you know, how do you address people? And they said, if you meet the king, it's your royal majesty. And when you meet the prince, it's your royal highness. I go, okay. And they said, don't, don't mix them up because it's really an insult. <laughs> oh, no. And as he hands me the phone, he says, the king. When he said my brother, it didn't register that I'm talking <laughs> to the king. So I pick up the phone and I go, hello. Oh, oh, hello, hello, your majesty. And the king starts laughing. <laughs> He goes, listen, I, I just apologize to you. I'm not going to be able to get to the meeting today. And I know you've got to go back on a plane tonight. So, because uh, I'd like, I, I would invite you to stay another day or two so we could meet. But I did want to say hello to you and apologize for not being there. And I said, well, I appreciate the call. And, uh, you know, let's see what we can do. And he goes, do you know where I am? Which is also a perplexing question because I'm thinking to myself, am I supposed to know where he is? And I finally said, I have no idea where you are. And he goes, I'm in Cairo. I said, oh, okay. He goes, do you know what I'm doing here? And I said, no. And he said, I'm meeting with the Arabs and the Israelis, and we're trying to figure out this problem. I said, and, and if I would, I would like to offer you something. I don't even know how I would do this, but I'm telling you right now, stay there as long as you have to stay there and get it done. And if you do that, every movie I make in the future, I'll shoot some of it in Jordan. So he starts laughing and he goes, well, that's a really good offer. And I said, hey, I'm trying, I'm doing the best I can. And he goes, well, I'll take that into account. And, and that was it. And then we hung up. That's insane. I love, I love those stories. Thank you so much for sharing those. Yeah, one day crossing our fingers will meet a prince. All right, love. <laughs>
let's move on to the next section and I'm sure we'll, we'll do more storytelling and I can't wait for this section because this is the section that most people don't know about production when they get into it. They want to know what they're signing up for and this is like the cons of being in the film industry. So what do you think is the biggest challenge you think most producers in general, what is the biggest challenge that they'll face in their career? They're all big challenges. I mean, selecting the right material, that's a big challenge. Selecting the people that you want to work with, what writer, what director, what costume designer, who's going to bring what to the table that's going to make this a better project. Getting the script right is always, because that's so subjective. I could like something, you could hate something. Who's right? We don't right. know. So the audience sees it and then they'll tell us who's right. And then the execution itself is a huge job. You know, it's all kind of different decision-making. Mm. I'll tell you another story. Kirk Douglas and Michael Douglas tried to finance Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. It was a big play and couldn't. And this is Kirk Douglas, I mean, big, big star. And then they met a guy named Saul Zanz who really loved the script and he arranged for the finance. So here you got a situation where a guy like Kirk Douglas and Michael Douglas are trying to make a movie. And these two guys being quite powerful actors, directors, and producers took 14 years to make that movie, which won an Academy Award. How many people are we overseeing? Like thousands of people that are working for this one production, right? And sometimes working with people can be a huge headache. I've read an article about, you know, the secrets of being a film producer. And they said, you know, like first we had to get this script and then it wasn't right. So we had to rewrite the whole thing and we had to do that five times. And then we had to get someone to finance the film. But turns out no one would finance the film. Yeah, all of it can be a big stress. And basically, you really have to have the voice in the back of your head saying, is this the best solution for the problem? Is this going to get us to the next step? You know, I'm often asked, how do you raise money for movies or television? And I always say, I don't raise money for movies and television. Movies and television, money finds me. Because once people start hearing, oh, he has this project, he has this director, and he has those actors, I start getting phone calls from the people who finance movies saying, who's financing it? Can we take a look at it? So to me, I've, I've been very fortunate because most of my movies have been through studios, mainly Warner Brothers, to a smaller degree Fox. I've never had to go looking for financing. I suppose if you would ask me, you know, what's advice to give a fledgling filmmaker, I would say really just to be true to yourself. I mean, I make movies for myself. What I want to see this movie, what I want to see this show. And you can't really be second guessing the market or you can't be second guessing what people might like because these projects take, you know, quick one is two years and it'll take more than that. And by then tastes change, people change. They're interested in different things. So it's really a question of making it for yourself. For sure. Mm -hmm. And do you have any examples of on-set stress that you would deal with as well? There could be a conflict between the director and the actor, which happens too often. And so, you know, you got to figure that out. I tell people the first thing that they should do, you need to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with that director and say to him, so why do you want to make this movie? What's important to you about this script? And make sure that you and he are on the same page. Because if I want to make a movie about A and he, wants to, he or she wants to make a movie about B, guess what? It's not going to be a pleasant experience. So before you get in bed with these people and, and, and you're spending money, you better make sure you agree when it's not costing anybody any money. Now, you're not going to get it 100% all the time. Because you're going to have to compromise this and you're going to have to compromise that and think this way and think that way. But, you know, if you have those conversations before you start a project, you know, you're a lot closer to getting what you want. For sure, right? Because it's yeah. interesting to hear because a lot of your job is really just having conversations with people, which seems to be one of the most important things. And it's interesting that people miss that so much. 
People miss it, miss it a lot. You know, I was making uh, Superman Returns and even Valkyrie with Brian Singer. Um, people would come over to me and say, you know, uh, there's a there's a problem between you and Brian, huh? Because uh, we never see you guys talking. And I would laugh at them and I'd go, it's none of your business what I talk to Brian about. It's one-on-one. -on -one. We are talking all the time. You just don't see it because I don't allow you to see it because it's none of your business. And I think the other thing that people need to understand is that in my opinion, you know, you have like a five or 10, maybe 10% variance before the movie falls off the rails. Meaning you can go a little bit this way, you can go a little bit this way, but you can't really go far off from what the original intent was and get a good project. And, and watch and make sure each step of the way you're getting closer to that goal. And are there any sacrifices you've had to make in order to get this job or to be in this job? For example, I know you have to travel a lot, and for some people, that's really tough on their families, on their children. You could be away from home for a long time. I'm lucky enough that my wife travels with me. It's really something you've got to work on if you want that to work. I think that's the biggest downfall. And it's really easy to get suckered into the project, the project, the project. So, it's, so I think you really have to concentrate a lot on relationships. It's even difficult when they're with you, you know, because you're still shooting a 16 hour day. So you're gone. You know, you know you're exhausted when you come home and all you want to do is flop into bed and fall asleep because you got to get up in six hours. So the, even when you're together, you're not really together. So it's very difficult. Mm -hmm. Are there any risks behind your job? The film industry, as we all know, is highly competitive. Some people may spend years trying to break into that industry and that may cost them money. Are there any risks? Yeah. Failure. I tell people the only reason you should go into entertainment, being a writer, a director, a director of photography, whatever, is because you can't do anything else that'll make you happy. There was nothing else that I wanted to do that made any sense to me. I'm not sure if you're comfortable getting into this, but regardless of what career you go into, and people don't always know this, there's going to be politics. Can you talk a bit about the politics that you, you've had to deal with? <clears throat> well, here's a, here's a, a general conceit that I think is, uh, is relevant. The studios or the financiers put up the money, but they don't want to tell a director he can't, or an actor, a big actor, that he can't do something. But they want you to tell the actor or the director that he can't do something. But then the actor or the director knows it's not coming from you, but it's coming from the financiers. So they go back to the financiers and then the, and then the financiers get mad at you because why did you say it was us? So that, that sort of like happens more often than not. And you've got to be able to deal with that. It's the same thing with managers and lawyers and agents and the talent. You know, you make your deals and everything with the managers, agents, and lawyers for the talent. But the talent knows what they're agreeing to. These guys aren't going to do something that they haven't spoken to their client about. And yet they play this little game that, you know, the client, the actor will say, I didn't, I didn't know that. Gee, I, I never would have asked for that. Well, not only did you ask for it, but they demanded it and said that if you didn't get that, it's a deal breaker. So, you know, don't tell me you didn't know about it. And yet that game is played all the time. I think we'll move on to the next section now, which is requirements, both financially and skill set wise. We do have the first question, but I really want to ask this one before I forget it. Basically, as a producer, you're pretty much a businessman for the production. Like you can't beat around the bush. You have to be very firm with what you want. And for a lot of people, that's really hard. Is that 100% a requirement you must have if you want to get into this industry, if you want to become a, a producer? Well, I think honesty is really key. I don't know if they like it or they don't like it. I don't care, but I have to be honest with them. If you're going to try to, you know, sort of pussyfoot around everything and around people, you're going to, you're going to lose because eventually they'll realize, you know, you're not 
telling them the truth. When they start working for me, I say to them, look, this is the deal. I'm going to tell you the truth and you're going to tell me the truth. And if you don't like it, you can tell me why you don't like it. And we'll argue about it and we'll resolve it. And hopefully at the end of the day, we'll go for a cup of coffee. That's one of the skills that I think separates good people in the business from bad people in the business. Um, another question we've asked uh, a lot of people in the, in the industry is, do you need to go to school to become a producer? No, you need to go to school to get an education. And the more education you have, my suspicion is the better producer you are. But no, you don't have to go to school. If you want to be a producer, find a great script or book that you love and find a great writer that you love and figure out a way to get that person to write that script. That's what you need to do to be a, be a producer. Now, having a good education helps that process. So what did you do to educate yourself? Well, I went, I got, you know, I went to college. I started producing plays in New York a hundred years ago and then went on to from off Broadway to Broadway and did a couple of concerts at Carnegie Hall. And then, you know, from that got involved with uh, small pictures. Another little story is, you know, I was teaching a course at Hunter College, basically saying, if you want to produce a move, uh, produce a play, produce a play. And Brian De Palma, this is how I know Brian, and he was teaching a class. If you want to learn to make a movie, make a movie. And so we, we met, he had this idea, why don't we merge the two classes and see if Hunter College and Sarah Lawrence College would support us teaching a class together. And we would, and what we would do is during the course of the two semesters, we would develop a script and we would then talk about who does what on a movie. And so we did that. And then we said, okay, you're going to write scene one and you're going to write scene two and you're going to write scene three. And we would read it and we would critique it. And we did this for two semesters and then said, well, thank you and good night. You know, we're done. That's the end of the course. And these kids have been saying, were saying to us, wait a minute, you've been telling us if you want to learn to make a movie, make a movie. We have a script. We want to make this movie. And so, you know, Brian and I looked at each other and gulped hard and said, uh, okay. And so we raised $350,000. Brian went to his good friend, Steven Spielberg and got 25 grand. He went to his other good friend, George Lucas and got 25 grand. So he raised his 175,000 and probably over a weekend. And I was around New York City talking to lawyers and accountants and anybody that I thought had money to see if I could raise money to put it into this movie. And ultimately we raised the 350 and we made the movie and the kids were all department heads on the movie. So they got a great experience. And what we, we were very fortunate because <clears throat> when we finished the movie, it was called Home Movies, by the way, we were able to sell the film rights to a foreign sales rep for half a million dollar advance. And we sold the other, the domestic to, the, to United Artists for half a million dollar advance. And so on a movie that cost 350, before we even finished the movie, probably made a mistake, but we distributed 100% of profit, in other words, $700,000 to the investors. They got their money back and they got 100% profit. And I got a call from one of my guys saying, listen, Gil, I don't know what you're doing, but you must be doing something wrong. How could you give us double our money back and the picture isn't even finished yet? And I explained to them and they, and they, there's this pause and he, he was like, Hey, you got another picture you want to do? I'd like to do another one of these, you know, <laughs> but that's sort of how you get from step A to step B. I think that class taught Brian and I a lot, but it also taught these young students a lot. And they all went on to be very successful. Filmmakers. Um, one gal worked with Woody Allen for a long time. One guy became a director, and he's pretty well known today. Um, but they all worked. They all worked in the industry, and they're still working in the industry. What advice do you have for people that want to get started as a film producer? Should they, you know, become your assistant or 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 something like that? 
a lot of people who say to me, I, I really just want to be your assistant on this next movie or TV series. I just want to follow you around. And I go, you're not going to learn anything because the conversations that I have publicly don't really mean anything. It's the conversations that I have privately with the DP or the director or the financier or the lawyer. And you're not going to know about those because it's a one-on-one -on -one usually. My best advice to you is if you want to be a producer, find a piece of material that you want to make and find a writer. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with partners. Once, once you have a piece of material that you like, and if somebody has access to a director that you like, so go to them and make them a partner. I mean, on your first show or two first couple of shows, it's not a question of how much money am I going to make? It's, it's getting it made. You know, I went from making this $350,000 movie called Home Movies. The next movie I made was for Playboy, and it was a half a million dollar movie. And then the next movie I made after that was for an English company, and that was a million and a half. So one leads to another. So you've got to get started. I find just being on the set, you don't really learn a lot. You see a lot of people standing around that you don't understand why. It might be fun to be there and you sort of feel like, oh, they're making a movie, they're making a TV show. Really, what do you get out of it? At the end of the day, I don't think you get much. You know something, I think the best advice I could give people is how to make yourself unique. Now, when I say unique, why would anybody hire you as opposed to somebody else? I, I spend a lot of time thinking about how do I make myself unique? Well, if I really understand how to make things look as good as they possibly can be, but I could make them for less money than other people can make them for, well, people will say, you know, get him. Now, if you had to give a job description of what a producer does, what would you say they do? You know, it's, it's, like, it's like an everyman thing. You need to be every man to every man. So, you know, today I'll be dealing with an actress who says uh, one of the grips is looking at her in a sexual way. Tomorrow I'll be dealing with a guy who is afraid to do the stunt, even though his stuntman is going to do the stunt, he's just going to do the beginning of it. The next day I'll be dealing with a, a, a wardrobe person who, who says we need to make 50 of these and it's going to cost us, you know, five times more money than we have. And she really believes we need 50 of them. Well, we don't need 50 of them. Why don't we need 50 of them? Because of this, because of this answer or this answer. And that's what I find so exciting about it, because I never know from day to day what's going to hit me. What question am I going to have? Who, who's going to who's going to flip out on me or, or not be available or, you know, get emotional that they can't deal with something? You're a problem solver. Right. But and I think you got to be have a personality that can deal with that. And what is your work schedule like? Because you talked about traveling a lot. How much time does this job demand out of you? I, I work all the time because I like it. I, I don't think of it as work. You know, every, my, my, my family has, has never understood what I do for a living, ever. They just never have gotten it. They, they like reading about me in the New York Times. They like, they like going to openings, but they don't really know what I do. Mm -hmm. And they never have. And I've given up trying to right. tell them that. But, you know, some people have said to me, well, how come you haven't retired? And I go, why would I retire? I, I kind of like what I do. And I still get off, you know, when we made Superman, I don't know if you saw the movie, but when Lois Lane comes off the plane and Superman rips the door off the plane and saves her, the audience went nuts. I would go to the theater, tell the guy at the, at the ticket booth and say, look, I'm the producer of the movie. You can walk me in. I just want to stay there for five minutes. I want to see the audience reaction to that scene. I would just get tingly listening to the audience react. When that feeling stops is when I'll retire. As long as I have that excitement, and as long as anybody else starting out has that excitement, go for it. You know, I, I used to teach a class at, at, um, at Columbia University, and I would start the class by saying, okay, I want to see by a show of hands, how many of you in, are in this business because 
you think you're gonna make a lot of money. Come on, show me the hands. But don't show me your hand if that's not the reason you're here. And then the hands would go up and I'd go, those with your hands up, you need to leave. And then I would say to the rest of the class, why are you here? What's what's motivating you? So if it's not making a lot of money, what is it? Mm -hmm. Now, let me paint a picture for you because uh, I know this is the case for a lot of people who are going to watch this and listen to this. There's a kid and he's about to graduate high school. He doesn't particularly have any experience in the film industry, but he's he loves movies or she loves movies. Maybe their parents don't want them to go into that industry because they think it's risky and so they don't have the funds. What would you recommend their first step to be? Well, first of all, it doesn't require funds. Get that out of your head. That's what people think. Oh, I got I need 200, 500 million to make a movie. No, you don't. You can use your iPhone. You can make a little 10 minute movie. If you want to be a producer, find a subject that attracts you, find a writer, come up with an idea, write out a one page treatment, start talking to writers about that one page treatment. And if they'll write either a full script or a 10, whatever you want to do, a 10 page script, just start doing it. And, it, and it's not a question of money. It really isn't a question of money. It's really a question of commitment. I tell this to people all over, all over the country at film festivals and at universities. So what do you want to be? I want to be a writer. Have you written anything? No. Are you writing something? No. Why not? How can you say to me you want to be a writer if you're not writing? How can you say to me you want to be a director and you're not directing something? Well, I don't have any money. Did I say anything about money? Take your, tell, take your cell phone. I mean, it's easier today than ever, even in when I started out. You, you, can, you can cut things on your computer. You can, you can shoot with your cell phone. Show people you know how to construct a shot. Show people you can deal with actors. Get some actors, get some friends who want to be actors and make a 10-minute movie, make a five-minute movie. Mm -hmm. That's really the difference between the people who say, oh, I really want to do this. And then, and then once you have that, then you're saying, okay, now how, what do I do? Well, maybe, maybe you do know somebody in the industry and you can say, look, I have this script. Could you look at it? Right. Maybe that'll help you. You do need help along the way. You can't do it all by yourself. I mean, the, the industry is so, it, it is such that, you know, I can't make a movie by myself and the director can't make a movie by himself. This whole thing is a collaboration. So there's nothing wrong with bringing in, and you see this all the time, more than one or two or five or 10 producers. Right. Somebody can help you get to the next step. And, you know, now there's so many festivals from Austin to Sundance, which is the biggest, to New York. I mean, there's so many festivals. There's so much access to quality, creative people that it, it's a lot easier than it was, you know, when I started out. You know, you wrote a script and it's great. And someone looks at it and you go, I, I think this is crap. Okay. Why? Analyze why they think that. Yeah. I agree with it. I don't agree with it. Keep going. Make adjustments. What advice would you give to yourself? when you started out? You know, I don't, I don't think I would give any advice. I mean, people ask me, you know, if you had, if you would change your career, what would you have done differently? And I can't think of anything I'd do, because I, I learned from each step of the way. Some were painful learning situations, some were less painful, but I learned each time. And I think that's the part of the joy of doing this, because you learn something each time you do it. That's all for this episode of the Outliers Podcast. If you're grade 12 or grade 11 or whatever grade you're in and you're listening right now and you are curious about any career that you're interested in, DM us because we want to know from you guys who we should interview next. This is the whole purpose of the podcast. So any feedback helps. To message us, we have an Instagram at McGee Outliers or we have a website, McGeeOutliers.com. 
But that's all for this episode. We hope you guys enjoyed it and we'll see you in the next one.